Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like updating turbines at one of our Indiana wind farms and producing more oil and gas with fewer operational emissions in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. The following podcast is a Dear Media production. I just want to put the disclaimer out there that there will be ads in this episode, but all of the proceeds from these ads will be going to the charities that I mention in my Black Lives Matter highlights. Hey guys, I'm Whitney Port and this is With Wit. A lot of you may know me from reality TV and the reality is a lot's happened since the hills. With Wit is dedicated to having real, raw, and occasionally ridiculous conversations with the people who have had a profound impact on me. Life-changing moments, life-changing people. Because on With Wit, very little is off-limits. When you wake up to the news that the police have killed another black person, you don't realize it's going to be even national news until it is. Similar to school shootings, I have become numb to these stories. However, unlike school shootings, I have to face my part in the injustice. While I had nothing to do with the police officer's actions that day, I am part of the system that fails to prosecute these crimes, demand police oversight, and invest in Black-owned businesses. In the last week, I have felt an urge to do something about this, but also felt afraid I would say the wrong thing or make it about me or somehow fail to navigate these delicate waters in the right way. I decided the first step was to educate myself, have a discussion. Today, Timmy and I are speaking to our friends Chid Liberty and Georgie Bedell Liberty about social change. I am Georgie Bedell Liberty, the wife of Chid Liberty. (laughs) (laughs) I am a model and activist. Author. author. (laughs) Too many things, right? (laughs) So, So let my husband introduce himself. I'm <laughs> um, Chid Liberty, better known as Georgie's husband, and I am mostly a social entrepreneur, which is how I originally got to know Whitney, is her help in helping me found and grow our business in Liberia, which is a first fair trade certified factory in Africa, co-owned by the, the women that work there. And then uh, more recently, I've become an, an investor, and specifically my fund, Liberty and Friedman, invests in Black women entrepreneurs and other underrepresented entrepreneurs because we think that that's another way that we can affect systemic change. But I think for for Georgie and for myself, Georgie has a charity that works mostly on getting water to where she's from in Burkina Faso. I obviously work more in economic empowerment, specifically of women, specifically women of color. And, but both of us are focused on systemic change. Like Mm -hmm. we think that there are a lot of things that you can do to address an issue but most of these issues are systemic. And so if you're not working on the systems level, you're just sort of painting over the problem or putting band-aids. Can you tell the story about how you guys met? Yeah, we were so just watching the, the I video. I watched the Face Africa video. We went out to Dubai and raised a lot of money at the store called Symphony. And all the money that we raised there went to Face Africa and helped build wells in Liberia to bring clean water over there. And I met Chid while we were there and took a tour of his factory and met all the women that he employed. And we met the president of Liberia together. came to say hi to Whitney. That's how you, we were rolling deep. We had a Nobel uh, Peace Prize winner and Whitney in the same room. It was awesome. It was yeah. so cool. So <laughs> Chid and I met in Africa and then we just maintained a relationship and you guys met and were 
had an instant connection in love. and we've just yeah. been friends since and we're always trying to find a way to work together but I think this is like the time more than ever and I feel as a 35 year old woman a little more mature a little bit more motivated and being a mother and realizing my power there I just feel like it is now my time to speak up even more. A lot of this really does start with women because women are the mothers and they are the the role models for their children. That in it of itself is like what you do. I mean, that's what you've committed your life's work to is just highlighting how important it is for women to be empowered because they have so much more power to help change so much yeah, over, their, over their family their and their communities. So that's why. Yeah. And I would just like to say that Chid and I, I think we bonded because we both in our wives completely outkicked our coverage. If you understand, <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> Georgie, that's an American football <laughs> reference, oh meaning our wives are way better looking than we are. They were telling me I'm me. I'm like Timmy. I'm like Timmy. Yeah, I just... <laughs> we just, we did it. We did it. And we're not looking back. And that's just, you know. We love you guys. And we're really happy that you took the time to to do this. Yeah. Um, and we want, we want to put the disclaimer out there, obviously, that you guys aren't representing the black experience as a whole, obviously. Like, just as Timmy said it so eloquently earlier, you said something like, black people, just like any race, that have differences, sure. like yeah. a million differences. Right. They're just them. as diverse within their own group as white people are. And to assume that it's it's a it's a homogeneous uh, population and they have all the same problems or all the same experience, I think, is pretty short sighted. But so we just wanted to take exactly. a little pressure off you guys. You're not representing. Exactly. And, and like, we, you know, there's no way that we could ever speak for the black community. Obviously, you know, Georgie and I are both immigrants, which is one way that we've had slightly a different experience. I'm from Liberia, which is the only other country that actually has African-Americans. So we're still African-American and, and American, Georgie from Burkina Faso. So we always like to highlight that only because you're right, there is no monolithic Black experience. And like, but I do think there's a lot of power in this conversation and in us as friends. And, you know, we were... I guess we've both known each other because I was at your wedding. You guys were at our wedding. We've both known each other since before we were married. Like we've known each other for for a long time. And I think that one of the most beautiful things that we can all do as Americans right now is sit down and listen to each other Mm -hmm. and try to understand each other a little bit better. And especially for you and and your African-American friends, I know that sometimes for African-Americans, it might feel like a very heavy lift to have to like educate your white friends on systemic racism yeah. or on police brutality. And it's really emotional. So I actually appreciate the, the fact that you guys are even willing to record this conversation so that more people might not have to burden their African-American friends and you guys can just share a conversation that we would normally have over mm-hmm. dinner. Also, I wanted to mention that, well, the police in America will not make a difference as we either you African or you African American or you Caribbean. It just it just doesn't matter. You black. Right. You know what right. I mean? You black. Every time my husband step out of the house, my heart is like beating like that nonstop. Every time I myself step out, we outside, I'm like, oh my God, we're just walking on the street. Is that a crime? Are we doing something wrong? Mentally, we have to say we are not okay in this culture. We have to be honest, we are not okay. Even when you walk in a restaurant, when you walk in a hotel, everywhere you walk out, just the way that people are looking at you, the way that they expect you to be in the head, and then they realize that, no, this is not actually who you are. It's just there is a there is a there is a, a strong and a big racial problem in America. Yeah. People have the mindset about how black people are, how they should be. That is that is what they put in their head. Like oh, we think black should be like this, like this, an educated stealer uh, or whatever it is. They just put a stigma on us, and and this is who we are to be. And, you know, our parents have been African-Americans and our parents in general have been trying very hard 
very hard to educate us on just so many things. When 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 you when the police even stop you right away, what you're thinking is like, oh my god, my hands. <laughs> Where are my hands? Mm-hmm. Just let, let let them see my hands that I have nothing. Even when they ask you for your document in the car. You like, uh, would that be a crime that I reach to my uh, car uh, thing to, to just get that simple document and hand, handing to them? Is it going to shoot me? So we, we, we have to say that we, we, we don't have peace. We don't have peace. And that is the every single day. What we have been seeing right now uh, that is happening, uh, that happened with... We have to say that it, this is... The everyday life of the black people. Yeah. It's just that they were caught on camera. Yeah. Right. And it's funny because Timmy asked me yesterday, uh, he was like, is this something that aren't, aren't, don't we have to account for the fact that police are doing a really dangerous job in a really dangerous place a lot of the time? Not all police, obviously, but if you're, you know, in a, in a high crime neighborhood, do we have to account for the fact that you know you're doing a dangerous stuff? And there are two things that you know are really clear. One is that policing is not that dangerous of a job. Literally, last year, 48. There are 800,000 police officers in America. 48 were killed. That is less than like zero 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 point two percent or something like that. Like you have a better chance dying as a construction worker on the job than as a police officer. And so if you can imagine, you know the amount of, uh, even if you live in a high crime neighborhood, like the number of Americans that have committed a murder or will commit a murder, there there were like 15,000 murders in America last year. Let's say disproportionately those were black folks. Like if we want to go crazy with it, let's say half or so were black folks, 7,500 murders. There are 40 million Americans, Black Americans, in this country. So if we say that it's open season to treat Black Americans, that police treat Black Americans however they want, because they feel danger that a tiny, less than 0.002% of people might be putting their lives in danger, that goes against everything we think of to be American. Like, I want to make sure that my sons get to drive around if they want to listen to loud rap music if they want to wear their pants or express their fashion sense a little bit different i don't think that that takes away their basic human rights or their rights as an american and i think that what we need to start doing is making sure that we all say not in our name like there's no reason that police officers should be treating anybody this way and the only reason they've gotten away with it is because the folks that they were abusing were black and they were poor any other group they did this to in America, it would be done. It wouldn't survive. But they feel special license to do this to Black people and to poor people. And now a word from our sponsor. During these stressful times, it is still important to take care of ourselves. I don't know if you knew this, but 75% of us are walking around everyday life chronically dehydrated. I am definitely one of those people. One of my biggest physical challenges is that I don't drink enough water. We are all suffering. We get headaches from being dehydrated. We have energy slumps and our focus isn't where it needs to be. It doesn't have to be this way. There's this new product I've been trying. I'm actually drinking it right now as we speak. It's delicious. It's called Hydrant. Hydrant is a refreshing electrolyte powder that you mix directly into your water to efficiently and effectively hydrate your body. It's really, really, really tasty. It doesn't taste like weird and fake like some of those other powdery mixtures, but Whether you're drinking Hydrant first thing in the morning to start your day off on the right foot or before a workout to perform your best or any other time throughout the day, you will feel the difference. Each rapid hydration mix has a precise blend of electrolytes that helps your body hydrate quickly and stay hydrated all day. It's completely backed by research. The formula was developed by an Oxford scientist to provide perfectly balanced, efficient hydration. There's no synthetic colors, stevia, or artificial sweeteners. The formula 
tequila is a vegan and you can choose between three different flavors or a variety pack. Right now I'm drinking the super tasty blood orange. It just starts at a buck a packet for a 30 day supply and you can actually save even more with my exclusive discount code. For 25% off your first order, go to drinkhydrant.com slash with or enter code with wit at checkout. That's drinkhydrant.com slash with wit and enter promo code with wit for 25% off your first order. One more time, if you feel like you're dehydrated and want to take a little better care of yourself, go to drinkhydrant.com slash with wit and enter promo code with wit. Hi, I'm Shanae Alexander, host of Press Send, a podcast and more importantly, a safe and hilarious place for candid conversations about the scary, funny, heartbreaking, but always intriguing questions that make us all human. Each week, me and a new best friend you haven't met yet field your questions across any and all topics and offer our take on the matter with plenty of humor, heart, and badassery along the way. We launch a new episode of Press Send every Wednesday. We'll see you there. And now back to our chat. I want to know how you guys felt when you first heard the news or saw the video. Like, oh, I'm gonna start with Arnold. When he first started with Arnold, we were in uh, Alabama and we rented a beautiful house with the backyard with horses. And you know, Chid, Chid loved horses. You know, he will go and feed, feed them with carrots, apples. You know. And when he first uh, broke out, when they first uh, showed a video of Arnold, that night I watched it, I have that man, I couldn't sleep. I couldn't sleep. I was all, I was just shaking the whole night. I'm like, did I'm going to get killed? Are we going to get killed? Are we safe? What is going to happen to us? And until uh, I, I would tell Chid, I said, no, I don't want you to get any closer to the horses. I don't want you to touch anything. I even don't want you to take photos. I, it was, I was basically telling him, I want you to stop leaving. Just stay in the house. Do not go outside. Yeah, this was in our own backyard. In she our didn't own backyard. But they were the neighbor's horses. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. yeah you were afraid. They're kind of like on like shared property. They right. But, but still too, too far away from the house for Georgie, for you to feel safe, oh, which is I'm, I'm, I'm on my property. But Georgie was like, no, don't no, even get that them. close to anybody because who knows what the people around here are going to do. And yeah. like we would jog around our property for exercise because we were scared to jog on the street outside. Because you, you don't know what is going to happen to you. How can you live like that as a human being? You can't. I mean, the only way that you, that just causes so much internal anger. Like yeah. it, it's, I, I can't imagine. Ha- so yeah. Having to live like yeah. that. It, and, it, and then Chid, when, I mean, when you first heard the news that he, I mean, that was basically a lynching. They, he had yes. been running through the neighborhood Yes. Uh, two white guys, a father and a son. I think the father used to be a police officer. Yes. They they were suspicious of him because there were some break-ins in the neighborhood or like whatever. They, they looked into it. You know, they said there was one. There's only one reported break-in and it was a guy who had stolen a gun from a truck and it was the son's truck. Yeah. And the most interesting thing for me was, okay, I watched the video and I was horrified. And then I, I started reading through why these guys had not yet been charged, why the original DA said, you know, oh, well, it seems like it was self-defense, and that was horrifying. But the most horrifying thing is just remember that one year ago, that dad had a badge. That dad could have pulled me over in Georgia, and I had to submit to whatever he said because he had a badge. And that's my biggest concern. We have 800,000 police officers in the United States right now who are they? Like, who are these people? Like, how can we make sure that we don't have, in the same way that we'd be scared if jihadis or other extremists were in our police force, why aren't we making sure that white supremacists, white nationalists, and just crazy people, crazy aggressive human beings are not in our police force? I, I think that's like the number one step And then number two, this tells you why we need criminal justice reform so badly. Like one, and this is, I don't care if you're, you know, Van Jones and Cory Booker or 
Rand Paul and Justin Amash and the most libertarian, everybody agrees that like you have fundamental rights and right now our policing system isn't really allowing especially black people to live with their fundamental rights. And you could see how it wasn't just that crazy ex-cop. There was somebody who covered for him, up for him in the DA. They passed it to three different DAs before finally the Georgia Bureau of Investigation said, oh yeah, something smells funny and we're gonna look into this. And it was until then with public pressure, that guy and his son and finally the third guy were arrested. So a month yes, later, watching, a month, a month. The video was that. terrible. <laughs> it, it was horrible. Enlightenment. What really scared me was like watching all of these lawyers, district attorneys and whatever, just pretend like ah, it could have been self-defense. How am I supposed to know? Nobody think is I, I thank God that we are in a in the air where there is cameras everywhere. Yeah. And that is the only reason why we're catching these people because this has been going on for <laughs> centuries, for centuries. And at some point, enough is enough. Pray for our oppressor to be better, to, to God, please change their heart. No. We, the prayer's time is over. Mm -hmm. yeah, we are tired. Yes, yeah, this is over. Right, thought, save your thoughts and prayers. For you. <laughs> we are tired saying it's going to be okay. We are tired singing at church just to cover up our pain. It is time for change. And that's it. That's it. These people, these murderers, have to pay for what they have been doing to us. If we say America is a free country, he must be free for everybody. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, it's not a free country for nobody. And I think that a, another, just to add on to that, is like one of the greatest problems in this conversation or how it's been dealt with, I think, for hundreds of years now, is that it seemed like an over there problem. But at the end of the day, yeah, that happened in this really weird place in Detroit or in Minnesota, but that's because, you know, those people over there, they're backwards, or those cops were just crazy, or it was an isolated incident. You know, like, where are all the good Americans who are just saying, no, it's no longer a us problem. It's no longer a problem for Black people. Like, this is an American problem. Mm -hmm. We are the ones that pay taxes, that deputize, that give people badges and guns. So we are all responsible. I think a lot of the times when you have these conversations about race, it kind of devolves into a conversation about blame. And I always like to distinguish blame from responsibility. Mm -hmm. Yes, you might not feel like you are to blame because you're not a police officer, your parent, your grandparents and your ancestors weren't here during slavery, they never had slaves. Or you're like, I have you know? black friends, like... Totally. Yeah. Totally. Like, you might feel like, this doesn't affect me whatsoever. Like, I am not to blame. And there's just like a difference between saying like, I'm not to blame and I am responsible. Like, mm -hmm. I'm responsible to change this and I know that I can change this, and here are the ways that I can know, here are the people that I can support, here are the people that I can amplify, and I think that that's the powerful moment that we have. Yeah, it's like we know that Timmy and I aren't are sitting here thinking that we are going to change everything, but we have the power to do some things. Also, and like being a parent, like Winnie and I actively try and build a bubble around our family. Like we yeah. want to be safe and know that, you know, no matter what, the three of us are safe in this house. But when you become a parent, you sort of present an, an outward facing part of your life to the world that you that you stop doing as an individual. I've already been to school. I've already been out in the public sort of more than I am now. But my son's about to go out there and I want him to go out into a place that is safe for him and everyone who he's going to meet. You know what I mean? So that he can become like a full human being. And that that's not where we live right now. Like, I don't, yeah. I'm not, I don't want to send him out there until it's yeah. different. And so now it's my responsibility for him, you to know? To make it different. Yeah, yeah. It, 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 it's personal for me in a different way. I mean, it, it, it's way more yeah. personal for you guys, but that's how I make it personal for myself. No, w without a doubt. I mean, at the end of the day, you know, Sonny is going to have friends, colleagues, coworkers, and hopefully our kids and Sonny, once we have them working on it. <laughs> <laughs> That's and why you Sonny guys relate to the, to the... <laughs> lots, lots of practices happening in Florida. <laughs> uh, so yeah, hopefully, you know, 
our kids can grow up. And, and I think what's so clear is I know you guys, and I know that you guys would want my kid to be as safe as your kid is driving in LA right. or driving in New York. Right. I, I, I know you as a person. And so I think the disconnect for a lot of folks over the last couple of years has been like, okay, like I understand that that happens to like a Philando Castile in Minneapolis, but like, would that happen to Chittim Jordan? And the answer is yes. Yeah. Like I used to get pulled over all the time. I used to get pulled over and taken out of my car and frisked, like driving my mom and my disabled sister for no reason. It, it wasn't like I was doing something suspicious. I, it happened to me so much that I thought it was normal. I was literally talking to my friend, Jewish girl from San Francisco, the other day, and she'd gotten pulled over. And I was just telling stories that I was like, oh, did you get pulled over? You must have gotten like pulled out of the car and like frisked and like blah, blah, blah. And she was like, no. She was like, what are you talking about? And I was like, oh, you know, sometimes they just pull you out of the car and blah, blah. And she's like, she's like, that has never happened to me in my life. And I was like, oh, I just thought that was normal. From being a, a black teenager, I've been pulled over walking in my own neighborhood. I've been pulled over driving countless times. God forbid I have an infraction or an outstanding ticket or whatever. You never know what could happen. Yeah. Jordi specifically, as like a black working model, I think when you started, you were just written up as like one of the 25 black models or, or maybe like eight. So there's some number of black models. Yeah, very them. small number. Very <laughs> small. I don't remember the number. I, just, I was only looking at one. <laughs> uh, and, <laughs> and what's so interesting is Georgie will always tell this story about the first time, you know, coming from Burkina Faso that she went to a casting in, in, in Paris. And they were just like, who the hell told your agency to send a black girl? And Georgie <laughs> was like, I don't know. I'm, she's from Africa. She's like, I'm not black. I'm Georgie. Like, I don't, I don't. You know, I've grown up in a place where everybody's black. So right. I don't think about myself as an outsider or that my skin color has any, right. you know. Anyway, yeah. sorry for telling your story. That was no, 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 <laughs> that's fine. That's fine. That's fine. I mean, my, my first time of experiencing racism was kind of like a slap on my face, you know. Coming from Africa, arriving in Paris, uh, my first casting, I get there, the client is like, did you not for black girl? Who sent you here? I'm like, a oh, black girl? Like, like, what do you mean? You know, I, I mean, I know I'm African, I'm a black girl, but I don't know. But why what were they looking for? Put the accentuation on the color of my skin. Then I, I get to my agency. My agents are like, we don't have casting for black girls. And I'm like, what is wrong? <laughs> like, what is wrong with these people? Yeah. Like, well, they are I mean, the fashion industry, yeah, the fashion industry has a really big responsibility because the fashion industry are the trendsetters and who like the young people look up to. And so that's really scary. I mean, without a doubt. Yeah. And now, I mean, obviously they've been doing so much work to get better, but there's still such a long way to go. Yeah. And I think that, and, and this is kind of like why, you know, I love what you were saying earlier about things being so systemic is like, I really think that this particular moment is about police brutality mm -hmm. and criminal justice reform. Like I think, because that is like, to me, literally the knee is on our neck and we need to get it. Like that needs to be fixed right. Mm -hmm. But I think you guys are right to say that there's a deeper issue here that we all have biases. And some of our biases are like, whatever, I might make jokes about this or make jokes about that. But some of these biases are also blocking people from getting casted mm -hmm. or blocking young women of seeing people who look like them represented in media mm -hmm. or in books or on television. And so there's deeper work that I think we all have to do. We all like, you know, I'm friends with a lot of CEOs and I'm like, how look around at all of your coworkers, look around at the senior level of management, your boards. Do you have black women on your board? Do you have black people who are really around you and empowered and paid fairly and honored in the workplace and blah, blah, blah? That's the work that we all have to do long term. Short term, we've got to fix this policing problem. And now word from our sponsor. So Tamara Mellon is an amazing, amazing shoe designer. She is the iconic designer who actually created Jimmy Choo. And after she left there, she launched her own collection. She makes shoes and amazing bags. Actually, there's this bag I'm 
dying for. Oh my gosh, it's a snakeskin bag with black handles. It's adorable. It's called the Kiss Mini Bag, something that I feel like you'd have in your wardrobe forever and it will go with so many things. The shoes are awesome. They are made with such integrity and they're so comfortable. They mold to your feet. She makes everything from sandals to mules to heels to boots. And they're made in Italy and handcrafted from the best materials and produced in the same factories that actually make all of your other luxury shoes. I am dying to have some of her summer sandals. My listeners will receive $100 off any pair of her shoes. Can you believe that? $100 off any pair of her shoes. Go to tamaramelon.com and use code WITHWIT. That's tamaramelon, T-A-M-A-R-A-M-E-L-L-O-N.com and use promo code WITHWIT for $100 off. Go check them out. And now back to our chat. Sitting here, Whitney and I, we consider ourselves liberal, forward-thinking people, but I think we're realizing this week that we actually are a part of the problem and that 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 although we're not overtly racist, like the I look at what happened to George Floyd, that was a racist act. I look at the fact that he got charged with murder three as systemic racism. And like the difference is we're a part of systemic racism. We're not actively racist, but our ignorance to what is going on is just as big of a problem as the actual acts of violence. Yeah, I mean, I was watching the video and I tried to watch before he started to get violent to try to see, like, was there something like I was in my head? I'm like, I I almost hope there was something that he did <laughs> because then it would it would not justify the police actions, but wouldn't have made it as horrific if the police actually felt scared for his life. And that yeah. was I asked Timmy, I said something to Timmy about that. I'm like, do you think that this police officer has some other, is there a side to his story? And even that for me felt like an ignorant question to even ask. But I think it shows, I think it shows for people like us, how difficult it is for us to take our part in this. It's like, we're looking for the reason why that video is okay. Okay. There is no reason. So like, it's no longer a black problem. It's now a problem for all of us. And we have to we have to do something about it. How are we all, especially through the media, trained to see these situations? Like we like every time something like this has happened, the natural question has been, well, what was he doing? Like there must have been something that made the police officer. The the thing is, it, 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 it doesn't matter what he was doing. I agree. As a police officer. A police officer have all the weapon. He have all the training to arrest somebody without harming, without hurting the person. Yeah. Yeah, we, we hear a lot that police officer's job is to de-escalate. So it does not matter what this guy was doing. And I think that's Why even... kill him? The man was on the floor. Yeah. Three, the, 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 the other two, uh, one, uh, one have his, his foot on his neck. The other one was holding the chest. The other one, the feet. That's murder. Yeah. 100%. That's murder. Yeah. And, and, and here, the thing is, black people, we are exhausted of keep on fighting for our simple rights. Now, the problem, we are not the problem. We are not the problem. As you could see, the problem is you. It's the white people. You have to solve the problem that you have. With us, we don't have a problem with you guys. So solve that problem. You're the one that have to be out there marching for us, fighting for our right. Look, when the autopsy, the first autopsy came out, it wasn't, it was already, it was false. The family have to ask for the, for the body to do an independent autopsy, to have something right. So we are not the problem. The we, 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 right. we're, not, we're not the system. Yeah. We're not the problem. So what you, what you two are doing, I think is amazing. You are using your voice to make the real change. And you need to bring with you every white person you can bring, change their mind and have them solve the problem because we already out there, we are exhausted. We are exhausted. We are tired. So now we're counting on you to make the difference. The power, you got it. 
And I think that naturally, Timmy, like, like you were saying, and, and like Whitney was just saying, you see these videos and you see, and you're like, okay, well, some, something must have happened. Like, you know, something was, and now I think in these two cases, you can see that like, nah, no, it didn't. This and is like, just like, racism. Like this is exactly. simply. But, it, yeah. it, but what Georgie is saying, it's more important to look at, even if something had happened, it doesn't matter. Nothing could have been happening to justify this man being asphyxiated like that. Like there, there is no crime. That, that would have justified it. Of course. You know what I'm saying? But this is, this, and, and, and that's actually another big part of the point too, is that like, let's pretend that, you know, every time we see these photos in the media after another black person gets killed, they'll show him on Facebook with his gold teeth in or he's doing a rap video or something like that. And, or he's, he's rapping for his friends on TikTok, whatever. And they're like, oh, look at him. He's thuggish. Just specifically to convince us that like it was justified. Right. Oh, look at this. this guy was actually tough and he was from the right. hood. And like he was probably violent. That, yeah, exactly. Not... All of that doesn't matter. No. And I hope that we as a country are waking up to that. Now. Yeah, these are just cultural biases that are being told to us that like try to make it better or try to make us feel better that, OK, we can ignore that. Truth right. Is, can't ignore it anymore. You're right. It's every time you see a video of a black guy resisting arrest and then the cop goes way overboard. Every white person says, well, if he wasn't resisting arrest, that wouldn't have happened. And that's completely obfuscating the, the, the point, which is that police are trained professionals to deescalate and they, they don't yes. they, they can't do that because that's not yeah. what we pay them to do. And we yes. pay them in, yes. with our taxes. And so it's on us to fucking figure it out. Say no, exactly. Yeah. Like not anymore. Like I, I think you're exactly right. And I can tell you, if everybody is policed to the extent that I personally have been, like literally just pulled over because you look suspicious, or you know, one time I was pulled over because they said I was a cop literally gets behind me on the freeway and is like on my ass, and then pulls me over because he said I was following too closely to the car. <laughs> in front of me. So either I would have had a speed or I would have, you know what I mean? So it, it, it was just that I was driving through Nebraska. So they were and like, what is this black guy doing black, driving yeah. through Nebraska? Right. That was the real question, you know what I mean? Didn't have anything on my record. He still pulled me out of the car and wanted to check this and check that and blah, 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 blah. So like, if anybody gets policed that much, like literally, it doesn't work. You know, there's an old saying, for my friends, anything, for my enemies, the law. And what it feels like is that white people are the police's friends. So even if we catch you and you might be doing something or you were speeding, it's like, we're good. Wink, wink. You're good. For the black person that gets pulled over, it's like, well, you know, you've been pulled over three times and we got to check this and we got to check this light and that. And that's the thing that African-Americans are tired of right now. We're over police. It's an extreme financial burden, time burden. Think about all the time that people are going to court and to this and to that. And then on top of that, you're asking them, well, why aren't you maintaining your job? Well, if I got to go to court every two weeks, how the hell am I supposed to be maintaining my job? Right. If, if I couldn't pay my last ticket because I had- How am I going to pay this ticket? What is the mindset? I just, it's so hard for me to get inside these people's brains where is this, where does this come from? Like, I can't, I, I just can't understand it. I need, like, I obviously have taken a history class, but I need like a little history 101 to understand like how this police's mind is conditioned this way. I, I just yeah. don't get it. I think that there are two things that stick out for me. Number one is kind of like we said, that continuum from slavery to Jim Crow, to this current criminal justice system. Great film is Ava DuVernay's 13. Brian Stevenson's obviously somebody who works really well on this issue. And so I think there's that point. The second point is our really segregated housing in the United States. You know, the, the US government after, you know, World War II and the Great Depression basically set up almost what became like Fannie and Freddie. It was like the US, I think it's called like the Home Loan Association or whatever. And it's how a lot of our you know, great grandparents and whoever got loans to buy their first houses after the depression and so on and so forth. And they, they had maps where they literally like drew in different colors, different neighborhoods 
And there, you've heard of redlining. They had these red parts of the maps that African-Americans lived that were called the hazardous part. And then it was really hard for African-Americans to get loans to live anywhere else. And there were usually homeowners associations that literally said, you can't bring in African-Americans in areas that aren't redlined. Like you can't, in, in, if, if I would have tried to move into your neighborhood, there was a homeowners association that figured out some kind of way to make sure I couldn't, this was perfectly legal. And so at the end of the day, even for African-American middle-class families, like they were stuck in these neighborhoods that were becoming more and more actually hazardous and they couldn't actually move out of them. And if you think about what gets funded by local, by where you live, education, because it's funded by property taxes, mm -hmm. police force, all of these things are extremely localized. So all of a sudden you had these areas that were really poor, obviously disproportionately black and brown, and then policing there they weren't there to serve and protect. I used to live in the suburbs in beautiful neighborhoods and, and the police were there to serve and protect, especially the white people. Mm -hmm. When you go into the police in the hood, that's generally not how it is. Like they are generally paid by some big bureaucratic system and they look at the people there more like subjects. They feel an elevated sense of danger. They, they think, but if you really think about that, like imagine if you are a poor kid, but you're doing the right thing. You're working hard in school, you're, you know, you're doing all that you think is correct. You still get treated, get slammed up against a wall here and there. Get the, and imagine just how that makes you feel. And then even for some of those kids, you might get caught up in the criminal justice system. Yeah. And that is what kind of keeps this perpetual cycle of poverty. So I get it. One of the biggest issues is that we take people who aren't from those communities and we bring them in to police those communities. So they don't understand the people, the local language, the slang, the, you know. And so one of the big shifts that we're trying to see now that President Obama spoke about the other day is community policing. Mm -hmm. How do we shift our police forces more to a community policing approach? And that just doesn't mean that you need to be Black and from that community. It just means that you actually spend the time to get invested in the people there, to understand who they are, what their goals are. The, cop, the cops know the people and the people know the cops. So they yeah. feel that, okay, if something's happening, the cop is not my enemy. He's they actually know who the good guys are and the bad guys are. Yeah. And that's, not, that's just not the situation in most neighborhoods in America today. And now a word from our brand partner. I heard of True Botanicals a long time ago and I've been using it for a really, really long time just because the integrity and the ingredients behind them are so important. The company takes so much time, so much thought, so much energy into making completely natural products. We all want to take care of ourselves in order to show up for everybody else. True Botanicals products can be calming during these stressful times and are delivered straight to your door. True Botanicals skin and body products give you results without toxins so you can feel good while we're all working from home. They use both the latest scientific advances and centuries-old botanicals botanical extracts to create all natural formulas in their products, like their hydrating face cleanser, face oil for aging skin, and their nutrient face mist, which is one of my favorites. I keep it on my desk and it's perfect for your at-home self-care routine. It's something that while I'm feeling a little bit stressed and fatigued and need a little refresher, I have it in my desk drawer and I just give a little mist and feel instantly better and more alive. Every True Botanicals formula is made safe certified and it's made with without 5,000 plus known toxic ingredients. But unlike most non-toxic products, True Botanical Solutions actually work to repair skin issues. They're not just saying they're natural just for the sake of it. They are natural and they work. They worked with researchers at leading universities, including Carnegie Mellon and Cornell, to develop potent formulas that work better than leading beauty brands. You've just got to try True Botanicals for yourself. Get 15% off your first purchase at truebotanicals.com slash withwit. Again, that's 15% off your first purchase at truebotanicals.com slash withwit. One more time, you guys, truebotanicals.com slash withwit. And now back to our chat. For the people listening, what kind of local elections should they be paying attention to? 
what positions can like I don't know a single person, not one person yeah. who knows anyone who's on the ballot for DA in their city <laughs> or county. Straight up. And me me included. And I'm not I'm certainly yeah. not researching the differences between the two or three people who might be on the ballot, but but those are some of the the positions that can enact these changes that you're talking about. So what are the other ones? What are the other local elections we can pay attention to? I mean, critical is obviously the mayor's office, because that's what controls, you know, the police department and so many other local bail regulations. You know, a huge reason, something like 70 percent of the jail population in America, disproportionately black and brown men, they haven't been convicted of a crime. They just can't pay for bail. Right. Like the kid that committed that Jay-Z made a great documentary about Khalif Browder that ended up being in solitary confinement in Rikers was never convicted of a crime. He was charged with stealing a backpack and he had been in solitary confinement in Rikers Island. You know, this is just like literally abusing the poor. So to answer your question, definitely mayor, Mm -hmm. definitely district attorney, sheriff in many places is something that you can vote for. Mm -hmm. So figuring out who these people are and voting. I know a lot of people are saying that they're tired. They don't want to vote. They're sick of voting. They want to protest. They want to burn it down. I get it. I understand their anger. That's not my approach, but I understand their anger. But I think that once we get done getting out our, our, our emotions and our feelings, the truth is we do have the right to vote. We are, though I think there are a lot of people who are trying to suppress specifically the black vote right now. Like we got to go there with overwhelming force and we need as many people who agree with us to say, listen, we're going to change this. This is not going to be a 51-49 type of election. And I mean that on the local level, I'm not just talking about president or whatever. We are specifically going to put in people that dismantle this system and say it's no longer okay to abuse young black, particularly men. But as we saw with Breonna Taylor, even women. I've seen a lot of people saying, you know, yeah, like black people need to stop getting killed by police. But but this this rioting is 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 really awful and, and counterproductive. And just how do you guys feel when you hear that? When enough is enough, it's just enough. Mm-hmm. People in the point, now you can see there is COVID. Nobody cares anymore about the COVID. <laughs> Everybody's like, I don't, I don't care. I can, I can get COVID and die. I do not care, but I want my right to be respected. We are in a point where I would say we are, we are very exhausted. We are very tired. And when you look at uh, riots uh, outside, there is a lot of videos where it's not black people that are that are looting the stores. Oh, it's the people not, who are protesting. Yeah, there seems to be quite a few people. Not, there, there is people out there that are just there to just diminish again the image of the black people. Yeah, who are and making we need, it seem, who are making yeah. making it seem like, like it's a all right, every time there is a black person protesting. Look, there is a burnt car. There is. We have been watching on uh, social medias all these videos. I'm sorry to say that uh, I have not seen much, uh, even maybe not one video that is a black person uh, destroying uh, these things. Not yet. I haven't seen that. Whoever really wanted to help, please be out there, much peacefully. Mm-hmm. But if you do not want to help our community, Stay home. Be safe at home. And I'll I'll sort of add to that, like, I think that the arguments around rioting and looting become a distraction. Like, no matter if they're legitimate, just opportunistic protesters that decided they want to, you know, Chanel fur coat, or if, you know, these are literally agitators, paid agitators, sometimes from the right, who are going to make things seem worse than they are. I think all those things might be true. None of that though would ever negate the fact that George Floyd should have had somebody stand on his neck for nine minutes. Like no matter what, like, like, so I think that no matter what, right in this moment, we can talk about that at a different time and we can deal with that at a different time. And if it comes out that there are people who are legitimate protesters against police brutality, who also happen to be kleptomaniacs, we'll deal with them and we'll, we'll get to that. But this moment, to me, is about police brutality. And it's about reforming our police system 
And I would love to, you know, there, there's a whole lot of other things. I'm even scared to have broader conversations about racism right now. Because I think we might start getting lost with like, oh, I'm sick of you know white people wanting to come up and touch my hair mm-hmm. versus like somebody standing on somebody's neck for nine minutes. And I think that those are different things. I'm not saying that one is, I'm not saying that one is not valid. I get what you're saying. One of them is really critical and important yeah. and we got to solve right now. Right. And the others we will get to. So yeah. I think I feel the same way about looting and about destruction. We'll get to that. But right now, our moment is about police brutality and making sure we seize this moment to change our policing in America. I think I think that I agree with you guys. I think that there's there's two things going on. I think there are the instigators who who, who are who are trying to you know set things on fire to make the protesters look bad. Mm-hmm. And then I think that there are people who have had enough and they they they've taken the knee at the at uh, while the national anthem is, is playing and done the peaceful protest and that hasn't worked and that they 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 want to light something on fire because they don't know what else to do and and personally like i think that that helps get attention and i and i'm not really Peter, against it no, like i'm all, kind of all for listen, it <laughs> yeah no you're Timmy. we're all here like there have been so many times, everybody keeps asking the question, like, why now? Why was it George Floyd? And I, and I think that at the end of the day, we're here because, number one, that was such a horrific thing to watch and such yeah. a chilling thing. Again, those two videos back to back, Ahmaud Arbery and then George Floyd, and then hearing about Breonna Taylor in, in, the, in the mix. But then also, we have all been sitting home, and because of COVID-19, we're all on social media, we're all watching television, and you see this thing happen, and, and like we said in the, in, the, in the executive beginning, you're like, okay, there has to be a reason behind this. Like, this cannot be the way that our police operate. For Black folks, they're like, oh yeah, that's how they operate. For a lot of folks, they're like, no, I've dealt with the police a lot of times, they pull me over, worst case scenarios, I'm getting a ticket, you know what I mean? So, so there must be something provoking police officers from treating somebody like George Floyd. And like you said, I think it's evilness. Yeah, and like you said, yeah, it's evilness because I cannot understand how can you kill yeah. somebody just live like that without even thinking. And then, and then the three other police officers, the two others that was on his body, and the other one that was standing is just uh, they, they are free. They are free, kind of like they did not participate to that. They are as guilty as that one that put his neck, uh, his, his foot on his neck. Yeah. They yeah. are as guilty. They have to be arrested too. Yeah. 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 We, we have to say that if America wants to be peaceful, please go arrest the, go arrest these awful cops. They don't represent America. They're evil. Yeah. They're evil. It, go arrest them. Make them pay for what they have done. Without a doubt. It's incumbent upon the non-racist to seek out the actual racist and confront them and say that, that this is no longer okay. And I get kind of disenfranchised and I, I worry that not disenfranchised. I get, I get we feel far away from it. So we feel like we don't know what to do. I, I just worry that like the only way that the actual active racists are going to stop perpetrating these crimes is for like them to die out and for their children <laughs> to like, be called out for like this behavior is not okay and, and like that bubble that they live in to like literally just be like phased out through like you know new people coming into this world i don't know that you could take someone who's actively racist and talk them out of it i mean does it feel like that's possible in your guys experience i'm just gonna say this but uh, uh george floyd happened in minneapolis Eric Garner happened in New York City with a police brutality problem, even Rodney King in L.A. Like this is literally a countrywide problem. But it's a countrywide problem. But in my mind and the way I'm thinking about it is that it started with, you know, like Confederates in the South and then like their their families spread out to all different parts of the country. And it's like if if any of them live in your neighborhood, north, south, east, west in America, and you have yeah. access to them, like, are you comfortable enough to to sit them down and have a conversation and say, no, this this is yeah. not okay. And I, I, I like 
rejected on all grounds. Yeah, that feels like the one of the biggest ways to make change is to actually get the access to these to these racists yeah. to teach Racist. them. Yeah, yeah. yeah, like we're starting to get uh, some answers on how you know people who think like Whitney and I do can can take responsibility and enact real change. But but what about the people who are like actively racist? Like like do you think there's a, a way to reach them, change their mind, or is it just like you know they're a lost cause? You know, for, for me, here, here's the deal, is that other people might feel differently. I'm not really at the place where I'm trying to change hardcore active racists. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's like Martin Luther King wrote in Letter from a Birmingham Jail. He was like, my problem isn't Bull Connor, isn't like the active racist police or, or whatever Bull Connor was, yeah. the sheriff or whatever. My problem is the moderate white liberal that's telling me, go slow, don't get violent, keep things under control, like basically don't disturb the current order. Mm-hmm. We're gonna get there, just be patient. Right. And I think that what we need to say to those folks is like, we can't be patient anymore. Yeah. This, is, this has been too long. And the second thing I wanna say is that I'm not here, you know, I, I, I believe it's a free country. You can have whatever opinion that you want. What I'm saying is that if you have an opinion that black folks don't deserve their civil rights when they're out in the street and can be pushed around, arrested, over police, so on and so forth, then that disqualifies you from being an officer of the police and having state power in your hands every day. So I want to figure out who these 800,000 police officers are in our country. I want to make sure in the same way that I don't want other extremist groups in the police force, I don't want any white nationalists in my police force. Right. I want people who are fair, who believe in the constitution, who understand human rights. That's all. That's what I want to deal with right now. Right. Like that's a low bar. It, for sounds, it sounds so simple when you put it like, yes. like yeah. this is so obvious. I, I, I've been thinking a lot about like, this is kind of random, but like the, when Brett Kavanaugh was confirmed yeah. and yeah. I was not like I, I was thinking about the moderate Republicans on the Senate Judiciary Committee and being like, you are the ones who yeah. are history will judge like yeah. you are the ones who could stand up and and vote the other way and you're yeah. not doing it. And that's sort of like like where I find myself like mm-hmm. as yeah. someone in that position, like. We are the ones who's, if we're complicit or silent or say it's someone else's problem, are the ones who, who will be judged by history. And like, I'll even state that positively. Like, you have such a platform. Like, really, the system is designed to protect you. Like, the, they're, they're policing, they think they're policing me to protect you. Exactly. Yeah. So if I don't do this say, for us. Don't do this for us anymore. I don't like the way that you're policing me. They're kind of like, yeah, 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 sure. No shit, you don't if like it. You say, if you use your power, privilege, access platform to say, I don't like the way that you guys are policing them, and I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to defund. I'm going to fire people. I'm going to get involved in the community. I'm... Then they're like, whoa, 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 Timmy and Whitney, we're ready to come to the negotiation table. Yeah. We've said everything that we can do. We've marched. We've rioted. We we've said everything we can do. We need you guys now to take it up and say, all right, guys, enough. It was already enough. We, were, we didn't understand it. We were sleeping. We're, we're busy raising our own kids and doing. We didn't get how bad this was. Mm-hmm. Now it's absolutely clear. And we absolutely refuse to have this happening in our name anymore. Yeah. Period. That, yeah. That's, I think, the moment. Deal? Deal. Okay. I mean, I think that... <laughs> I think that what you're saying, the, <laughs> that voting and that get, getting involved in your community and making sure that you know who these police officers are is one of the short-term solutions to the problem. What else can we do in the short-term to help what's going on? Like, I mean, for me physically, I like want to go out and protest. I haven't even told him. Like, no, my friend is a reporter at ABC and he's going out tomorrow yeah. And I was like, can I maybe come with you? I haven't told my mom or Timmy yet, but like, can I just <laughs> feel this out? And he was uh-huh. like, he was like, if I go to a peaceful protest, like, I think that's something that could maybe be good for you to do. Like, I wouldn't want to put you in a place where you could get hurt. But I'm also like, yeah. I'm not really 
I don't know. I just want to know, is that even, is that worthwhile? Like what else short term yeah. can we do physically? Yeah. And no, I would yeah. absolutely say get out there. And I would absolutely say, you know, uh, we have a, a couple other, especially white female friends who have said, you know, the police, they, we always talk about the, 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 the non-sanctity of black bodies and how black bodies are being hunted by police. So, so like the truth is the system is designed to protect the white body, particularly the white female body. So using your presence as a way to get in between sometimes the police and the protesters, there's so much that they won't do to you because of the fact that you're tall, pretty, blonde, white, you know what I'm saying? That they will, they'll back up. And my friend did that. Uh, she was joking about how she would just stand there. She said, you know, they would see me and they would just say, okay, we're not going to do X, Y, Z in front of her because they know she's, a, again, a wealthy white woman from San Francisco and the police know not to step on her. They, they know that there will be issues. So using yourself, even in peaceful protests, as somebody who can be there so that people see your face. But as you know, I think that as we talk about systems, yeah. and I know that this is a particular thing for Whitney. This is actually how Whitney and I met because she was interested in the work I was doing in Liberia, specifically empowering black women with jobs mm -hmm. and uh, entrepreneurial opportunities. You know, one of the main issues, I think when we looked at, at the entire system is that African-Americans in our country, because of things like redlining, don't have the same economic opportunities as everybody else. And we can come up with a million different causes self-inflicted, outside inflicted, I don't really care either way. It's time to, to change these things. What we know for certain is that specifically black women, you know, women only get like 2% of venture capital period and black women get less than 1% of venture capital altogether every year. So if you can imagine that less than 1% of venture capital are going into the hands of black women. What are the things that I think we need to start doing is investing in these communities mm -hmm. and investing in peoples that are going to build the next barbershop, restaurant, app, Astro, the next Elon Musk might be a black woman, make sure that she has the opportunity to get um, investment. So how do we turn this moment into a movement? Yeah. How do we say, okay, okay, we're going to change, we're going to reform police, we're going to protest, we're going to do other stuff. But then we know that there is a larger issue around race in America. And we know that we have the power and the platform, specifically you guys, to help. So this is what we're going to do. We're going to help to help amplify specifically, I think, Black women entrepreneurs and, and entrepreneurs of color more generally and make sure that they have the opportunity to build safer communities and have the time and the space to improve their communities. Um, investing in, yeah. in women is everything. You know, investing in um, in a black woman is uh, is everything. Right well, I, I think that's exactly why we wanted to have this discussion with you guys specifically. You know, in part to to elevate voices that that aren't ours and give a platform, but also for everyone who's listening and watching, one to let them know that like we are going to continue to to affect change in exactly that way, investing in black women entrepreneurs way past this moment. Um, and that that's something other people listening uh, and watching can do as well. And I think a lot of us sitting in these seats are, are you know, our heart is in the right place, but we don't know exactly what to do. And so we just want to thank you guys for just taking the time to sit with us and and and, you know, hear out our sort of part in it, but also to give us um, like a roadmap of, of how to help. This is a conversation every white person that I have a black friend should have with. Yeah. Because that's very important. You cannot ignore the pain of, uh, of, of your friend. Yeah. Is it possible? If, if you are real friends, you must have that conversation with your white friends and your white friends must have this conversation with you too. That's that's very important. Otherwise, there is no friendship. Right, right. You know, unless it's fake. Right. <laughs> you know, right. I know it's so true. Like I can't. You so can't this be scared. Is, yeah, this is really good. This is like something that's just gonna that that's gonna take a lot of improvement on all of our parts. And you know, just know that you guys making the effort is not going unnoticed for for me. And I'm just like I, I'm I'm really proud of you. I've been 
again, I met, I met Whitney, I know your heart, coming to Liberia and making sure that, you know, a cause is very important to Georgie, mm -hmm. people have clean water, and then number two, women are able to build themselves economically. Yeah. I know it's like something that, it's not something that you did super publicly, it's just something that you care about. Your sister came, your, your dad, God bless him, came, and we just had an amazing time and really, really, really learned to love your family and, mm -hmm. and have been invested in this with you. We're going to get this right, and we need your voice, and we need your platform. 100. <laughs> Let's do that. Yeah. Thank you guys so much for listening. I hope you loved this episode. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review. I'd love to hear what you think and anything more or even less you'd want to hear about. Tune in every Tuesday for a new episode. If you want to know more about what I'm up to, you can find me on Instagram at Whitney E. Port, my website, WhitneyPort.com, and my YouTube channel, Whitney Port. Peace in the streets.